Welcome everyone to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is NLP Logics CFO and COO Fallon Gorman. NLP Logics is a fast-growing AI services firm based in Florida that serves both the public and private sectors. Fallon joins us on today's program to talk about the best strategies for organizations in attaining ROI from AI projects. Today is the third and final episode in a special series sponsored by NLP Logics. Visit podcast.emerge.com. Again, that's podcast singular. .emerge.com or click back in the calendar on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to hear from modeling analytics leads and data scientists Katie Bakewell and Ben Webster on the program talking about model preparedness and topic search. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Fallon. Fallon, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. Just to begin from your vantage point at NLP Logics, what do you see as the biggest challenges businesses are facing in measuring ROI from AI projects? It's a great question. I think one of the challenges that we commonly see is being able to assess how much it's going to cost to implement, maintain, and continuously care and feed any type of automated solution. So really gaining a grasp on what it means to automate Mm -hmm. your business as it relates to what it really costs you to do that process today is usually a pretty gray area for a lot of people. We talk about automating processes. Is it just simply thinking of everything that the organization does that's repetitive and doesn't take a lot of thought and thinking, you know, we can seek out an RPA for you know, an RPA solution to help us streamline this? How do they want to think about their repetitive tasks that don't elevate human decision-making as we hear so often in this space? Yeah, great question. I think that it's not just automating the clicks and buttons of what people do on the day-to-day. It's really comprehensively understanding what is happening today and where changes in process can provide lift, which is always a piece of it and why it gets muddy on ROI, but also where changes need to happen to enable appropriate automation to get to what the business is trying to accomplish. Right, right. We hear so much on the AI vendor side of things that they see you know, a lot of success in going after pain points. How much to an extent should a company have in mind their pain points? How much should they chart them, organize them, have them in mind when starting an AI project in-house if they've determined that, you know, a vendor's not really going to cut it? Yeah, we too also go after pain points. But pain points are often just the symptom. It's helping us identify root cause of really Mm -hmm. driving home where value can exist. And a lot of times that is, it's not a scientific exercise, right? It's very touchy feely. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you feel today about this pain point? What pain are you experiencing? And really kind of teasing that out. I think to the extent that business can understand what their pain points are, the easier it becomes to navigate the map of where you're going to get your biggest ROI on anything. But 
in our experience, most most companies have so much pain in so many different places. Really triangulating the biggest pain is part of the complication. Right, right, right. You mentioned in your last answer kind of a variation on kind of, you know, sentiment and, and classification, not to, not to, you know, even treat an AI project like something we can extract data from, but being able to gauge the feelings of those assessing the project as it goes is very, very important is what I want to underscore there. But obviously not not all opinions are are made equal. Obviously, kind of in an AI project, especially where we're trying to keep ROI in mind, there are two figures that that kind of, you know, jump to the forefront, in my mind, at least, and, and feel free to chime in here with others you think are important. But certainly the subject matter expert and the business leadership side of the table, I, I, I don't want to paint them in any way as kind of two different ends of the, the table. Often they're the same side. And often the opposite side of of the data science or IT teams, in some respects, and how they and how they look at things. But what I want to ask, just in terms of your last answer, is what's the best way to rate sentiments or results from subject matter experts, especially who have you know their hands dirty and the experience to know whether a solution is going to be a practical fit in in their situation. So to be clear, your question is, how do you rate the sentiment of the subject matter expert specifically in an ROI analysis? Yes, in comparison to other stakeholders in AI adoption projects. Okay, good question. I would say that where we get the most value from subject matter experts is not on the pain side, but on the what is happening on the day-to-day to create the pain. Usually what we'll see the value in is the pain is getting bubbled up to the leadership levels and they know something has to change, but they don't know exactly what needs to change to make it happen. They will have ideas. They have oftentimes done projects to solve this pain for their team members and the business along the way. So from a where do we place value on the subject matter expert, it's really understanding what is going on at that ground level day in and day out, and correlating those tactical actions to the pain that is being communicated. And, you know, through a lot of our discovery processes, when we're trying to help clients through this exercise, it's really triangulating the, you're feeling this, I have a cough. Right. And is that cough just a cold? Or is it bronchitis? Like, what is it? What is the cough? (laughs) could be lung cancer it could be smoking right. it could be it could be a common we cold. don't know the root cause of it we can root out root cause for really poor grammar purposes <laughs> at the subject matter expert level but we really get what the pain is at the leadership level cuz that's how it's getting presented right right often the challenges as i've heard them terms with leadership up until very recently is that usually it's they're struggling to stay on top of the latest in artificial intelligence or really understand it and i actually think we're we're kind of past this point in the cultural zeitgeist i mean i think you know everybody's teenagers are using chat gpt mm-hmm. this isn't so much like you know a dimly lit room kept secret anymore you know in terms of ai technology just given that environment where do you think leadership education can still be lacking in a way that ties directly to maybe misunderstanding something that's incremental to ROI. 
Yeah, I would say one of the big shifts we've seen over the past few years is that people think because AI is so close to everything that everyone's doing on a day-to-day at the consumer level, understanding what it actually means to get it implemented. So, you know, ChatGPT is the whole rage right now. I can go in and I can type stuff in and it'll tell me cool things. And then it feels really smart to me. So therefore, I want to use ChatGPT and look how easy it is. I can interact with it. It can provide tons of value to my business. But then you get to your subject matter experts who are talking about, yeah, so that sentence that ChatGPT just said would totally send us down three months of work that it's not going to know (laughs) that we would be going down that path. And That is where we find people getting caught up in the ROI conversation. A lot of it is, I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, trust, but verify. You know, you got to work with experts that have actually been in the AI space, practically speaking, practitioners for periods of time that understand how the new technologies can apply to a business setting. How can a chat GPT be helpful to a business use case? And what does that really look like? to be meaningful to your business. Those are things I think people miss. Now everyone thinks it's, you know, everything is easy for the person that doesn't do it. So it it feels easy. And a lot of times we have to work through expectation setting in that respect. Not not that AI is just like AI is not simple, but it's not too hard. Sometimes you're going to have, which is a really interesting inverse Mm -hmm. relationship. Sometimes a lot of ROI Big ROI projects are not super complicated AI implementations. And clients and prospects think, oh, because my pain and my problem is so big, this is going to be a really expensive problem to solve. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes what's causing that pain is a really simple problem to solve from an AI standpoint. And sometimes the things that feel simple from a pain and problem standpoint are way more complicated just because of those human decisions that are getting made along the way that have to be decoupled from the human to sort through how to make the right. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot on on this show about AI's strengths and weaknesses, but I'm wondering if you can give an example there of where the assumption was that this would be requisitely extremely difficult because the problem was was extremely complex. But given that it fell into kind of a rules-based category or a capability that AI does just very well and very simply, that it ended up not really be the juice. <laughs> the juice was way worth more than the squeeze, mm-hmm. so to speak. Is there an example of that that, that you had in your mind? I, I just detected that in your last answer. Yeah, I think one of the areas that we see it quite frequently, kind of like the chicken and the egg. Document classification is one of them that sometimes (laughs) you don't know until you get into it, whether or not it's going to be difficult or easy. But often I will see a complete inverse relationship from what people think is easy and what's difficult versus what people Mm -hmm. think is difficult and what's easy. And it's one of the areas we have to navigate quite extensively when we're working with clients is a computer can see what my face is on my phone, so therefore it can do anything. Well, it's true. It can do a lot of things. Or they, they've never seen an instance where computer vision or document classification has done that scenario before. So in their minds, 
they're thinking it's this huge project, but there's already mm-hmm. technology that solved the problem. It just solved it in a different place, which is why they haven't interacted with it. And we can come in and help them understand, oh no, this type of thing yeah. exists. We can solve this problem. And you're not looking at a two-year journey for this one. This one may only be mm-hmm. a six-month journey. But that one you yeah. think that's yeah. really easy, that's your two-year journey. Now let's go do an yeah, analysis and- of how much impact it can really have on your business. Of course. And I know for us in the AI space, we we tend we're starting to look at things as, well, you know, a conversation is just another form of data, you know, and a document is just one form of data. And starting to look at the tasks oriented with documents and and, you know, say the customer service experience as the same, even though for business leaders, they could not be more removed philosophically, et cetera. What areas of the business do you think are going to start coming together in that way as we start to look at ways we communicate as just different interfaces for data? Maybe a really good example, and I actually had this conversation with one of your colleagues earlier today, is that we're starting to think of a new discipline called topic search, which is kind of like voice of the customer if you didn't think of the signal only as outside your organization, but just thinking of the subject matter from both you know inside and outside the organization. And once we kind of get over that wall and we and start to look at the problems, you know, the same way from the vantage point of data, we start to see this in the language. It's no longer voice of the customer. Now it's topic search. So I, I'm I'm just wondering just curious, you know, if you see any other disciplines kind of coming together in the same way because functionally on the technological side, it is the same action. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way, to be honest. (laughs) But as you mentioned it, just thinking through the use cases that we work with on the day-to-day, you know, there's a lot of talk about how AI is going to change the future. And I know there's a lot of conversation right now and a lot of chatter about communication changing. The evolution of we had to write on a piece of paper and then we mailed it and then we started emailing it and now we Slack it or instant message it and phone conversation. Like it's all very much navigating into one way to communicate. So with that, like I think that where we're going to see it converge potentially is Mm -hmm. the interdepartmental. When you look at it from a business standpoint, interdepartmental Mm -hmm. communications and triggers of communications and actions that need to happen, not just from like a workflow, I did something and handed it off to from department A to department B, but really making sure the right people are getting involved at the right time as a result of the various forms of communications combined with actions that are being taken within those various areas. It's something I think about a lot of like, what is the next evolution of this? What does it look like? We've done a few projects with some clients to try to correlate like what's happening over here and how it relates over there. Really good example would be financial services, big spot right now for AI, right? Sure. And everything that's happening on the operations side of the house affects the financial side of the house in some way, shape or form. Everyone knows that, but no one thinks about it. Some people think about it. I don't want to say no one, but some people think about it. (laughs) Not everyone's thinking about it. Right. Really being able to tie those together through AI is a super fascinating thing to think about. Like it, yeah, not impossible. It's just a matter of making sure the data is in a place to be able to make those connections. 
Indeed. And we're talking more in how these are converging. That's going to be the force of where a lot of a lot of businesses are going to see ROI. What should business leaders, you know, just take from these directions in terms of, you know, where where everything's headed, how departments are kind of coming together more from the vantage point of data, as we've discussed, what should they take away from that in terms of, you know, their next decision making on what AI projects to take on and what will be the fastest ROI? Yeah, I think the most important thing we like to remind everybody is that data is data, right? A lot of people think that they can't get into AI because their data is not organized and it's not clean enough. And that's why we often try to lead with clients of doing a 10Q, we call it a 10Q, which is really just 10 questions of like, help us understand the layout. Oftentimes, people are their own biggest enemy on trying to get to that ROI. They're trying to solution on the fly instead of yeah. working through the pain and understanding what the problems really are. So advice I would give is stop trying to come up with the solutions all of the time. Take inventory of the pain and recognize that data doesn't have to be something in a tabular database with mm-hmm. which for it to be used. It just needs to be captured somewhere, preferably not sitting on something that you have to go scan in handwriting form. You know, (laughs) maybe move away from that. Always harder. But, you know, work with experts in this that do this and don't put assumptions on it. Like, don't put a filter on it. Like, give people that have worked in AI the opportunity to understand what you're dealing with can oftentimes identify the quickest ROI. Like working with people that know how yeah. to generate ROI with AI is a big factor. Indeed, indeed. Something to underscore, maybe an educational point for the, for the leaders tuning in today, as we were kind of saying before, something that people don't realize about AI is it's only as capable as as much context as you give it. Just to the point of your last answer, what you were saying about unstructured data, one of the advantages of unstructured data, just to even pull from one of your colleagues, Ben Webster, who is on the show talking about topic search, he was talking about how in sentiment analysis, numbers are actually not very useful information of, you know, on a scale of one to five, how good do you feel? A five. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Good about what? You know, it, 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 the five doesn't tell you very much after that. But comments, which are extremely unstructured data, as opposed to just one numbered score, a comment tells you so, so much more if you know how to read it. But for, you know, a machine that's only used to detecting numbers, a comment isn't going to mean very much. But for the emerging discipline of topic search, comments comments are, are becoming a really, really, really big factor. So just a, just as an example of even if you have like a bunch of like really messy contracts, the messiness might not be the worst thing in the world. Yep. That's extra context, which if we know how to how to work with and if the AI knows how to work with, that actually could could even mean more meaningful data extraction for what you're doing. Anyway, Fallon, thank you so much for joining us on the program this week to, to talk about ROI from AI projects. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Wrapping up today's episode, I think you're going to start to see the language of our shows start to change as problems become defined by data vantage points rather than pain points, as as Fallon was describing. 
This is a change that we've seen typically, especially for AI vendors. They're probably scratching their heads as I say this. It's not something that I would describe as the predominant trend in the markets right now, but we're going to start to see this trend start to take, I think, in major sectors of the economy over, I would say, the next six months to the next year. Just as an example of one of these trends, I think, that is driven by data signals rather than the workflows that previously took care of these problems is what Ben Webster described as topic search. I think this is another way of looking at problems like voice of the customer and media surveillance. And I think the only primary difference between those disciplines and topic search as we talk about it on the episode we had with Ben Webster is that it's just looking at purely the data signal, whether it comes from inside or outside the organization. And I just think that's one primary example of how we're going to look at more and more problems from the vantage point of data rather than how we looked at them in the 20th century, for lack of a better way of putting it, looking at it as a media problem, looking at problems as voice of the customer, especially when they come to social media. And maybe if we take down those silos, take down those walls and take down the ways that we've been looking at them in ways that are enhanced by data, I think we're going to find some truly enlightening perspective. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.